0: This is Song. And this is Sarah. This is Effing Ethical, where we try to make sense of all the choices facing consumers every day. Lita has joined us again for, I think, a little bit less of a straightforward conversation, um, but one that I think is, is really the reason why Song and I started this podcast, which is you know, there's, there's a lot of things going on in the world or industries, sectors, individual companies, policies, whatever, that don't really have like perfectly right or wrong answers. And when you look at the relationship between um, Europe, the US, Canada, sometimes, <laughs> and uh, many countries throughout the world, there's obviously this history of colonialism is just embedded Um, and it even is like literally embedded in some of the existing organizations that are doing development work or investing work Um, and there's just a lot of really good conversations happening from people within those institutions um, about like what does what does decolonizing development or decolonizing international investment even look like and how do we build better systems that are really working for um, working for everybody, right? That, like Lena said last week, um, maybe it's maybe it's investments and it's getting Americans to really think seriously about investing in Africa. Um, but yeah, so that is kind of the conversation we wanted to have. And Lena, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for for having this conversation. I feel like you're also a friend that I can have these like kind of hard conversations with. <laughs> yeah. Plenty of conversation to remake the world. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's how it starts, right? Like we just have to be, we just have to think creatively and I think sometimes it's useful. I've at least found it useful. And I don't know if you feel this way about being back in school. I know we were talking um, before we started recording about like some of the negatives about being back in school but I think some of the positives are, like, taking a step back from your previous world and able to, like, look at it from a different lens. And I think that, like, that is what helps me have these conversations.
1: Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't change this for the world, even though the pandemic stuff sucks and everything is um is virtual. <laughs> I wouldn't want to pay this amount of money, that's for sure. But <laughs> <laughs> I um i wouldn't change it i mean there's something about being thrown for two years in a place that's going to challenge how you think or you know help you build confidence and forces you to like do research and read and i never read this much obviously when i was working right Mm -hmm. and like find a topic or multiple topics that are of interest um to you that you can just keep digging deeper and now you have access to academia as well as, you know, other people, so to speak, on the ground to help.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that is really true. Like having been not even full time, but like stepping back into work, I'm already feeling like very bogged down by like the actual work I do. And so (laughs) literally having this podcast and talking to Song and, and some of our guests like you is, is really good at like keeping my brain in that space. Um, so I think th- one of the ways that I wanted to start was was really just from like my, my frame of reference, which is working for the US government. And I'd heard this said before, and I liked the idea of it, but I wanted to sort of like use this to start the conversation, which is, so the US has like a lot of different agencies that work in development. And one of the ways that it was described to me, the reason for all the different agencies um, is is really like the different roles that they play. Um, and so my kind of question for you or like to think about as we talk about this is like, does this make sense? Does this structure still make sense? Should they even be doing this? So you have USAID, which mostly everybody knows about, and they do mostly grant funded organization like grant funded stuff so some things are like discrete projects where you have USAID um, funding a independent group like a contractor who like implements the project um, other times it does go kind of directly into government local government agencies right so there might be like a healthcare program that's USAID funded but it's it's distributed or processed through the local health agency, something like that. Um, so the idea, right. Is that there, there's, there's stuff. And, and I really do believe this. There's just stuff that needs to be grant funded. Um, maybe it shouldn't be grant funded in the way that it is, but like, there are things in the world that we just need donations for um, in order to meet human needs. Um, I agree. And then, so that's like the one agency. So like, they're sort of responding to the things that need the grant funding um, there's certainly a lot of disagreement about the nuance of it and the scope, but but that's really what the goal is. And then you have MCC, the Millennial Challenge Corporation, that does these like government agreements about kind of bigger like infrastructure things. So it's still largely grant funded, but they're just like bigger. It's like a bigger relationship with the government. Um, and they kind of come in and do do say infrastructure. Um, And so the way that I was described, it was described to me that this could work is let's say that you have a country that has not done any um, solar energy projects and there's interest in developing solar energy, but there's so little known about it that there's not, there's like not adequate investment before you can get grant funding to identify if there's like the solar resource. You get the grant funders in to develop the solar resource, sort of say, yes, here's the right place, here's where you should build it. And then you have Millennial Challenge saying, "Well, that place that the solar, the that the um, solar plant is going to go, whatever, is really far away from like the existing grid. So like that's cool, you're going to like create energy, but like how's it going to get to people? So as part of their agreement, they might be developing infrastructure, both like roads and transmission lines. And then you have um, these other agencies that are connected. The agency that I worked for, OPIC, now the U.S. Development Finance Corporation." um who who might be involved in like the private sector financing of the actual solar plant um so that's just like one frame right like how the us and there's a lot of other agencies that are involved other countries have these but like do you think that still makes sense for there to be these like 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 like, like do we really need all of the grant funding does it need to be more maybe it needs to be more just straight government to government right maybe it needs to be less about discrete projects um maybe those things should all be under one umbrella and that's like a really big policy question so my question isn't like how should the us government refra- reframe this but like do you think that's working like are there is it really working in some countries is it really working or is it not working in other countries um do you have any thoughts on that or even just like based on what you've seen like the responses from from other countries being
1: is it working i think the simpler, very 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 simplified answer is to say no Now, who's responsible for it not working? I think that there's some shared responsibility, right? Um, There is the aspect of how does the U.S. structure the U.S. aid, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Where do they want to focus on? Who did they hire to do the job? So all those different questions. But there's also some responsibility on the recipient side, right? So I, I think there is space for them, because the reality at the end of the day is some of these organizations some are able to have some impact in some really remote parts, right? Mm-hmm. I think it, they, might, they should look sometime, probably into having very drastic strategy when they're looking at urban, peri-urban and rural areas. Mm-hmm. There's in my experience and this is clearly anecdotal there's sometimes the sense of treating the entire country sort of the same and really what changes is is probably like the distance right from point A to point B because of infrastructure right if you are in a city point A to point B is easier than if you are in a rural area but there's now even this idea of peri-urban which is a big deal in many, many African cities. So from the perspective of how they are structured or how they structure the work that they want to do, if they truly want to accomplish what they set out to do, they they clearly need to make some some changes. Mm -hmm. In terms of scope, um, and this might be just sort of a personal experience due to some personal bias, I do (laughs) believe in them taking a bit of a step back just because of the bureaucracy of them, just because I feel like there is some accountability that has to be placed on some of those local government and local institution. There's this quote from the president of Ghana that really, really struck with me. He said, we can no longer continue to make policy for ourselves in our continent, on the basis of whatever support that the Western world can give us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That is powerful because yeah. the reality is many governments do have, do implement policies on the basis of, oh, the USA is going to do this part or, oh, you know, France through their own agency, Agence de développement Français is going to do their part. The CDC from the UK is going to do their part. Right. And, that does not bring the level of accountability and impact that is needed to actually move forward. But there is space for it. I mean, you have to give credit that there are some nonprofit like the Bill and Melinda Gates that have been able to help you know, work with local institution and help eradicate malaria in some areas, right? Mm-hmm. Or some of the, so some of that type of work where they can be working hand in hand. Personally, I have become a major, major proponent of PPP, mm-hmm. private public partnerships. I, I think it puts the relationship between the governments and private institution to a whole nother level. Right. And it brings in the money, the expertise and the accountability that is needed. It's not always perfect, but at least it gets us to a better place, if you will, um, in having the uh, the impact that we need to to have. I'm a little bit biased. I have a couple of friends who work at the African Bank of Development. And with one in particular, we talk all the time about those different types of of projects. And it's pretty neat because if you think about it, when you're looking at building a road, right, a government may not have the funds to build a road and building a road is not just a let's build a nicer road. It has such tremendous economical impact, right? You can literally take people out of pov- of extreme poverty or out of poverty because of a road being properly built and you have now these structures where a company will say you know to a government it's okay we'll enter with this partnership with you where we'll build the road but we'll put a toll and that's how we're going to be paid back right and hopefully the government is doing the right thing in making sure that the toll is not at a price that is so elevated that their people can have access to it or that the contract is not for 50 years which means For an entire generation, basically, they won't be able to get, you know, some money in the government sort of like banks to be able to do other to work on other projects. So for me, I think private public partnerships done properly, obviously, are sort of the way of the future, more of those and less of the aid or the what will I call it, you know, sort of these put it because it's for me, it's basically when you're counting on the USA, the Agence French, uh, Agence de Francaise de Développement and CDC, you're putting basically your destiny into somebody else's hands. And that's for me that that's just, it's been done. We've done it. And we Mm -hmm. see that it hasn't gotten us, you know, much further. So it's time to try something different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I really I like that frame of it that it's less about none of this is needed cuz like there is still need, right? Oh, like cool. yeah. it's it's really important to highlight the opportunities like we did in the previous episode with mm-hmm. the entrepreneurs that are, you know, can can bring you market rate for VC investing. Um there is also a lot of poverty and people with food insecurity and those things need different resources but i really liked what you said and and mentioning the president of ghana like it's about local leadership developing those priorities and then and then looking for partners right and that partner might be any one of those agencies that can help come in but the priorities were developed by the local government
1: one way i was you know anyone can sort of think about where each of them is needed is thinking about the idea of competition right Mm -hmm. in a rural area right where there's extreme poverty competition between two entities is kind of like not really needed it's like help them and move you know and help them hopefully they get on you know to the point that they can get somewhat on their feet and move on right that's sort of as realistic of a scenario as you can wish for but On the other end, in some of the more like urban, peri-urban areas, you want competition, right? Because if you have competition, then you can sort of get at that intersection of proper service being offered at the right uh, price, right? That's why there's a part of me, you know, usually from the American perspective, when people think of China and Africa, they, it's like hands up in the It's like, oh my God, you know, China will do this to Africa. And I'm like, well, Europe has done it. The US has done it, you know. Um, <laughs> it's not like you've been necessarily much better than China, right? Um, in terms of like the morality of things, so to speak. And I know I'm being a little bit harsh, but this idea that now an African nation can sort of sit down and say, "hmm there's competition on who wants to do business with me mm-hmm. on this particular you know industry or whatever you know you want to build a road? Well, bid for it you know and I want the, everyone to bid to, to bid for it so I take the, the contract that does, that's the most advantageous for me.
0: I will say, and and this is not this is not an actual analysis of the current administration's policy um, towards China and Africa. But one, I've appreciated that they've recognized it. And two, they have focused on kind of like a private, a little bit more of like the you know, private sector supporting U.S. private business, whatever, whatever. And I don't think that that necessarily is perfect either. But but I like that frame. Like we here in the U.S. or the U.S. government or or European governments, right? Like they should be thinking about like they are in competition with China, right? And like maybe a difference is we can't do cheap labor because of our because of meeting some international standard, but like, we're going to do that, right? Like, how do you really, there's all these different levers you can pull in that negotiation. But I, but I, I, I take your point And I think it's a really good one that like, there's a negotiation now. There's like a lot of different players that want to do this work, right? As we stated at the beginning of the last episode, it's probably for political reasons. It's not just because they want to make impact, but that's okay. <laughs> like, that, that, that's fine. It doesn't that's matter that okay.
1: your work. <laughs> That's okay. I think we need, you know, as unfortunate that as it is, when you're a realist, you have to understand that people do things for, you know, sometimes very selfish motivation, and the idea is how do you find sort of the win-win or the win-win-win formula. But to sit here and hope that everyone is just, should be doing things from just the bottom of their heart, it's nice, but it's not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> it's not realistic, right? Um, but yeah, I, I really, I think for me, one of the 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 recent over the past few years, trends that is happening is this idea of China coming in and its competition. And yes, they're not doing everything right. I mean, I got to be in Nairobi and I got to be like, oof, I'm questioning a, a lot of things, right? But I'm not faulting that on China, right? They're doing what fits right for them. I am going to fault it more on the local authorities to say, you now have a power that you are maybe you're not realizing that you're not using it as well or as much as you should, and it might be pretentious on my end because they would be like, "Oh, you're not at these tables and blah blah blah." But I think there's a there's a better way to sort of be like, "Oh, you want to come over here? Well, so and so also wants to come over here," you know. So give me something give me something better um also i would say even within the continent right we the, the, this the the big news is around the africa free trade initiatives right um in some ways it may make sense for south africa and zimbabwe and i'm just pulling things out of my you know behind <laughs> right now to to work on better deals right um Yes, there are regional sort of groups, right? The Western Africa, CIMAC, Eastern, and there are all these groups. But I think there's also a lot of opportunities there to sort of pull from each other's strength, right, and say, how can we work together to have a win-win relationship, right? And say, I don't know, um, you you participate in building this road we can take you know and we make sure that it gets all the way to your you know to where you are because some countries are unfortunately landlocked and it's really really difficult for some of those um those countries because as you can imagine having a port or being by the water economically it puts you at a at a much a greater advantage than your neighbor who, um, who are not. So yeah, place for, this place for nonprofit, this place for, you know, sort of these organizations, governmental organization that do those work. But more and more, I think this place for competition, place
0: for more sort of private partnerships. I like, that. I really like your focus on competition and like what's appropriate. Um, I also had seen on the ground some examples of, like you said, there's a difference between rural and peri-urban, and I've seen the way that some of those donor-funded projects kind of mess with natural competition in a peri-urban area. Mm-hmm. Um, not in a good way, right? Like, not in a way that ultimately supports exactly. broad economic development. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I really like that that focus. Um, and Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of these agencies, I mean, you mentioned CDC, you know, CDC is one of those agencies that's just been around for a very long time and has transitioned in what they do quite a bit. Um, But they were a, you know, a a UK agency during colonialism, right? That it it, it very clearly has that, that historical tie. Exactly. Not in just like, oh, they, you know, the UK used to used to have these colonies. It's like, no, that agency existed. It has changed. But it's clearly a moment where those big age everybody from the big agencies down to the small nonprofits at least should be, in my opinion, whether they are or not, just thinking about what are my motives, what are my incentives, how am I like you described being part of a system that is shifting power into the hands of local leaders, but still providing inputs. Like we We can still be here to provide inputs and support, but we're not doing like, like what are our incentives and, and how are we supporting that change instead of kind of propping up the historical way of doing something that really was, well, what does the donor want to do? I I like to compare sometimes these
1: organizations to like us as you, like a living body, right? Mm. Where we carry with us a certain past and unless you can acknowledge or go through therapy or whatever the case may be, you're not really going, you're not really going to profoundly change. Right? Mm-hmm. So for them, based on why and how they were created, there are some things that are just going to take way too long and way too much to change to the point that you can believe that it's never really going to change. There's, there's the mentality of we're coming here to fix. We're coming here to help, which is very different from we're coming here to partner. Mm-hmm. We're coming here to work together. So if the mentality is already coming from the mind frame, I'm going to fix you and I'm going to help you. What it says is I have it right and you have it wrong, which is mm-hmm. essentially, you know, from slavery to colonialism, sort of the thought process, right? So it's it's going to be very difficult for these organizations to to act and do differently because again that's just within their sort of like their dna right mm-hmm. um at the helm of it are the people from the uk even if the work is focused on sort of doing work abroad the person the the, the, the final person to make the decision and you usually see that even in, in a human level where You may see a bit of diversity at the lower level, but the people who make the decision who say yes or no to whatever initiatives, you know, are UK people. And I get why they are, but part of changing might also mean that, well, your decision maker may need to change if you really want to do sort of the new thing that you want your organization to do
0: it's so interesting. I, I was in the Peace Corps when we really implemented in a serious way, monitoring and reporting of our own activities. Mm -hmm. And it really bothered me for like a lot of reasons. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think that it came about in a moment where governments, especially the U S but the UK as well, were really questioning kind of, like I said, at the beginning, like, why are we spending so much money? in these places, right? Like, what are we really getting done? And I guess, and like, in my opinion, it really seems to have pulled the whole system even more in that direction of like, there has to be a decision maker. It's always the person with the money. They line out, they lay out some strategy, some goals, and then you have to achieve them. And they might even have some process where they say, like, they are responding to a local need. And in some ways, they totally are, right? Like, I I sort of introduced this in our our first episode. Like, USAID is a behemoth, right? And there are so many different things. There are things that are going through local government agencies that probably very much fit into this, like, future structure that you talk about, right? The government's like, we don't have enough, we don't get enough taxes to pay our health care. We have these priorities. Can you help pay for those, right? And and that's something that that USAID might come in and do. But then there's all these other projects. Um, and it, yeah, like you said, it's it just it's just so systematic, right? These things are in place, and you know, it's I've really seen this a lot in the last couple of years, where like American donors or you know investors for impact in various ways, they want that like really specific story, right? They're like, I want to see the specific positive impact you are doing with my dollars. They don't want to know that you're like, well, we've like you know, supported these like three agencies that do like a million different things and really your budget just went to cover overhead cuz like that's what <laughs> we really needed this year. Like no, like donors don't want to hear that. And so like it's just it's so systematic what this really is. Because like I I really appreciated like how you said it. it's not that there's not a place or there's not some real needs that like the global community needs to continue to support. It's about how we're doing it and where responsibility, authority, and decision-making lie.
1: And again, in being a realist, I don't mind that it's the person with the money making the decision. That's just the way, you know, this planet Earth function, right? Green is the common color and language that we all understand, right? I don't mind that. It's just about how do we get the person with the money or is the person with the money humble and self-aware enough to do some check-ins and make decisions accordingly? Or how do we build a system where the person with the money has checks and balances, right? Like in the U.S. where you have the Congress, the Senate, and the President, right? This That's a way of having some... That's a a way how the founding fathers made sure that you don't just have a dictator coming in and doing whatever they want, right? Because you can say whatever you want with, like, 45, but at the end of the day, he's able to do it because he has a supportive... I think it's the House's representative, right? That's the one that's Republican and the Senate is Democrat. Um,
0: The Senate is
1: Republican. Republican. Okay. So the other way around. So either way... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the checks and balance are still working right and that's that's really what's important here is that the person who has the money, the institution who has the that has the the money and the power what's the system in place you know to make sure that check-ins and decisions are are made towards the actual mission right towards the the mission that they say and not perversing or continuing into these um, systematic issue. Now, the other piece can be this what you write on paper and this what you actually want, right? I am, by nature, I tend to be very cynical. (laughs) So you can say that this is what you want to do on paper, but behind the scenes, again, it's one of those things where you say, we're going to have these projects, we're going to help you do these things because... Or help this government do these things because you know elections are approaching and we want this specific person to either stay in power or this other person to take over because that's a better ally countries make those type of you know decisions and again that's where it's on the locals to as much or as best as they can to sort of unite and, you know, fight against that. It's not easy because that means you're saying no to some big checks, but Mm. nothing easy comes
0: without sacrifices. It's hard. I've definitely thought a lot about like what role I want to have in any of this. And I've really enjoyed conversations with another one of our classmates um, who I talked to in our impact investing um, oh yeah, episode. The Great Alexander. Alexandra. Yeah, so like we just want to start a fund to fund. We're like, I'm not gonna go pick a company in a country that I've like been to once, or that I might even pick the <laughs> or that I might even speak the language. Right? Like, I want, I want to be removed. Like, as as frustrating as some of the bureaucracy can be for many of those systems, I really want to get U.S. investors um, and donors to be really interested in what's happening in Africa, what's happening with entrepreneurship or on the donation side, right? Like what positive impact can their dollars make when it comes to healthcare or education or whatever? Um, But like, how can we just like remove ourselves a little bit? Like we're going to funnel the money we're going to identify, right? Like the best, you know, the best fund managers that can be investing in certain sectors in certain regions or on the donation side, like, you know, the, the local capacity, the local players, the local nonprofits that like have already developed the structure and they just need the money. Like, and that is a system that I'm personally really interested in. Like, how can I be here in the U S just like getting investors and donors interested in a way that is like helpful and, and putting, like you said, like power in local context. And it might be like, we're bidding, right? Like if we're We don't don't get to go to West Africa and just say, like, hey, VC, like, do you want our funds? They'll be like, well, what's your rate, right? Like, it's (laughs) there's market competition here. I mean, it's extremely
1: difficult because I think the first change is even at home, right? Within the U.S., you know, we are struggling with this idea of helping our fellow citizens, you know, um, if you are in California and you have a lot of money, you want to dictate how it's going to be used in Chicago or Detroit. And it's like, you don't know anything. The first thing about the realities of Chicago and Detroit. So I think part of the first step is even it's starting there in some ways. And then, you know, making people aware of, the arrogance behind the thought of I am going to go there and be successful because I've been successful in the place that I know. It's how do you, you know, maybe it's using some of the skills from some of those like uh, IPD class in power and politics. (laughs) How do you tell someone, how do you place a mirror in front of them and you go, listen, you're being very arrogant, (laughs) but I'm still going to take your money. (laughs) You know, and, and and do this thing. Right. Because they can easily answer and say, well, how do you know you are doing the right thing? Why are you not being arrogant? So um, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting and, and delicate conversation when you're going into somebody's pocket and you have to tell them that as much as they have amassed this wealth in the environment in which they did, it, it doesn't mean at all that they have the knowledge of how to amass money anywhere, you know, right. in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's huge. <laughs> <laughs> and hard, right? It literally means on just like a really personal level for all of us acknowledging that like, we're selfish, we're self-interested, mm-hmm. and we have a whole bunch of biases that affect how we see the world. Mm-hmm. And, and some of that might be, like really might be how um, you know racism is a problem in the U.S. and how we are part of that, and that is definitely a bias that that people hold. But there's also a bias of like, well, if I'm good at this here, like you said, I'll be good at it there, right? Exactly. If I'm good at create, like it's the whole VC industry. If I have created a startup, I am therefore good at picking other startups.
1: I mean, it's not just only in VC, like I'm sure you saw it even at working, right? I've worked in, yeah. um, like I said, in insurance for like a decade. And one of the things, the first thing I remember saying was in the sales department, if you sell well, then you're going to be promoted as a supervisor, you know, because you sold well. And it's like, well, it's a different skill set, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, and sometimes even been promoted as a supervisor in another state. And it's like, well, maybe that is just different people right? And with different cultures and how they approach this product is different. It's, it's a very, um, human sort of tendency. That's why if, you know, I really agree with the idea of there's nothing more important, like when you're getting into a relationship with an investor, it's almost like marriage. You have to check their value because you really want to make sure that you are getting into this relationship with somebody that even though they have a lot of money, Hopefully, they have just the, you know enough self awareness to stop and actually listen to you. You know, um, that's a that's the biggest thing. I wanted to come back to a question that you um, mentioned earlier, especially given that our audience will will mostly be uh, American. This idea of like, why are we spending this money abroad? Right. Mm. I I think there's constantly this debate in the U.S., especially because. There's a good part of the U.S. where we're like, we are capitalists, uh, capitalists, you know, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstrap and all that, yada, yada. It's like, then why are we spending money to those people and helping them? And at the core and at the basis of it, I hope people understand that it's it's also really about safety.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? If you look at... The struggle that the U.S. has had with terrorism, terrorists don't come from the nicest place of New York City, right? They don't come from the nicest place of the cities. If if this sort of disparity of wealth continues, it is actually going to be increasingly less safe for the wealthy people because... You're growing a population of people who have nothing to lose. And there is nothing more dangerous than somebody who has nothing to lose. That means just the sight of you will just bring up like the worst feelings in them. Right. It's not necessarily about believing in whatever religion it's, you know, some people don't get convinced necessarily because it's like, oh, this, I want to go I you know, I want to follow this religion. It's like, you know what, you're going to give this to my family and I can, you know, kill so-and-so. Sure, I'll take the hit because you're going to take out my family because me alive, mm-hmm. I can't even do it. So why do we spend money? I mean, if you want to think of doing it the right way, we have to spend this money in some uh, in many occasion because it's it's our safety that's that's on the line right you you just can't continue to have this world where the richer gets so rich and the poor gets so poor that the poor has nothing to lose
0: yeah i'm really glad you brought that up because i think i think you're right here in the us we obviously see immigration from central and south america um, because of destabilization and um, unsafety and lack of economic opportunities in those countries, and we sort of only focus it there because that's what we see. Obviously, we see within the U.S., right, income mm-hmm. um, disparity and populations who have, you know, like you said, are in such dire economic straits that they don't, you know, they they don't have thing, anything to lose, right? That is a really destabilizing thing. Um, whereas in the U.S. is very much focused on South America, Europe is very focused on Africa and the Middle East because that is where their immigration, um, like that's how they're impacted by, right, is African immigrants and immigrants from um, the Middle East. And so they can kind of see that a little bit closer. And I think that just like to your point, it's a global problem. We're looking at global safety and economic security and safety go very much hand in hand um whether that's on a global scale or kind of a, a country or small region scale.
1: Yeah, especially when the starting point wasn't fair, right? Mm-hmm. It's that's yeah. that's the biggest issue here is that to an extent you also, you know, you're spending money there because is it okay to curse on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> you fucked up. <laughs> You fucked some countries up. So now you got to, you know, you got to do what you need to do to be, you know, to be safe, right? You don't keep nonprofits or government aid in Iraq from, again, the bottom of your heart is because you know, we fucked things up there. So now we better keep an eye and as much as possible, make sure that, you know, you don't have kids growing up with nothing, becoming adults with nothing to lose, ready to blame
0: everything on on the U.S. and it, it's really hard. And I think that I've spent a lot, a lot of the last couple of years with classwork and other work, really thinking about that, like how how integrated in it. And I think it's, I mean, just to go back and kind of you know wrap this up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of changing systems, like you said, starts with like, it, it starts at home and it starts about thinking and it starts with thinking about your own, your own situation, your own biases, what are your motivations for doing these things and just being really honest about them, right? Like it's not bad to just want to make money by investing in Africa, not wanting to have some super high social impact, but be honest about it, right? Like what are your mm-hmm. like true core like, what are your true core motivations? Um, and I think that, so you can kind of take a step there, but it's also really important, I think, especially as Americans to recognize that like our country is big and very wealthy and has been a stabilizing force, right? Like you said, like in, in a lot of places, it's, it's like, cause we're trying to fix what we fucked up, but like that stabilization is important. And so that, that doesn't mean that there's not really, it's not really important to look at how we're spending money and what are the right structures and that there needs to be change there. But, um, but just to remember that like, we're in a privileged, we're, we're in a privileged position in this country in a lot of ways. And our country has a certain amount of privilege and, and just sort of understanding like where we sit in the world. And it's sometimes sure it's, it's it's been done by force and there's a lot of negatives. And I totally take all of the points of people who want the U S to be far less involved in the world, right. Doing where you can sort of say there's been a lot more harm than good. Um, but also looking to all the countries, right. Like Syria, where there wasn't good stabilizing and you can really question how the U S chose to act or not. And again, like, not getting into like foreign policy and war, (laughs) like spending more (laughs) in this pod, at least in this episode of this podcast. Um, But like, it's all connected. I guess like, that's what I wanted to say. Like it is all, exactly. it's all connected. Like we can't pull it apart and say, we don't want to spend money on aid because we think it isn't actually making the impact we want it to. It's like, well, it's connected to all these other things. So you have to think about those first. Exactly. And it's like, it's asking the wrong question. It's not about
1: whether or not you do it is how you do it, Mm -hmm. you know, determining the scope and the the structure and the processes. That's really what it is about. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, that was, thank you so much, Lena, for joining (laughs) me for these really great conversations. Um, I so love your perspective. And I think that, like, I am influenced by my experience working in, um, in international development in, you know, largely like aid funded projects. Um, And so I really love the lens that you take um, really focusing on kind of like what is the market doing and how can we look at people's real motivations, right? Not, not their esoteric ones. So thank you for, for bringing that. You are very, very welcome. And uh, thank you for holding these,
1: uh, these challenging conversations and what I really appreciate is how you and Song make sure that you give as much information in a digestible manner to your listeners so that it's not about swinging from one extreme to the other, right? Everything is measured and nuances in life. If you, if you are on one extreme or the other, you probably not doing something right or not thinking right, You, you know? So I appreciate that. Thank you for having me.
0: Hey all this is Sarah. Quick edit. I said Millennial Challenge Corporation twice (laughs) instead of saying Millennium Challenge Corporation. So hopefully that wasn't too confusing. Um, And I just wanted to say thank you all so much for listening to Effing Ethical. If you haven't already, please rate us on Apple Podcasts so new listeners can find us. And a great Christmas present to us would be sharing something you've learned on social media. We will be back in the new year with a new season, and as always, we love hearing your feedback and requests for conversation topics. You can email us at hello at songandsarah.com and find us on Instagram at F-I-N-G underscore ethical.